Hey, and thanks so much for taking a moment to visit our podcast. Our mission at Antioch FBC is to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus and go to our neighbors in the nations. We want you to be encouraged by this podcast and hope even more that you would come be a part of what God is doing in the community of Antioch. To find out more, visit us at www.antiochfirstbaptist.org. And now, stay tuned for a message from Pastor Matt. I'm so grateful we get to worship and celebrate Easter this morning, which is actually, if you think about it, the pinnacle moment of our faith. Everything we believe hinges on the fact that Jesus is alive. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, if the tomb is not empty, if he is not right now seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and for me, then honestly we have no faith to believe in at all. Last Sunday, we celebrated Palm Sunday, which marked the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. And he was declared at that moment, not only king, but also the true Messiah as he rolled in on a donkey and her foal to fulfill the prophecy that Zechariah had given. And then this past Friday night, we came together to worship for our Good Friday service, and we reflected on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Every year we participate in that service, and, and each year I sort of see and hear a different aspect of Jesus' death, and it's such a meaningful time together. And then yesterday. Yesterday is often referred to during the Holy Week as Silent Saturday. Silent Saturday, the events of Friday still fresh in the minds of the disciples and of Mary and Mary and, and all that were there. And then they're confronted and they have to deal with this silence that comes after the death of Jesus. And I think many of us can relate to this definite. in the drawer in there. There we go. So, a little moment of silent Saturday, right? But seriously, I think what, what we can relate to is this deafening silence. And here's what I mean by that. When we here on earth walk through losing a loved one, it's al almost sometimes the silence that follows that is sometimes the hardest to deal with. It's sometimes the silence that cuts the deepest. 
Because after the loss of a loved one, you, you, it's almost this whirlwind. Many of you know what this is like. The funeral happens so quickly, and it's a blur. And you've got family in, and you're, you're gathered together, and then all of a sudden the family has left. And that is when the loss of a loved one really sinks in, in that silence. That silence of them not being in the home anymore. That silence of them not being in conversation with us around the table. But I want to remind you this morning that the silence of Saturday may seem silent to us here on earth and may seem silent to those in that moment, but I promise you that that Saturday was anything but silent. Because as we have sung and proclaimed this morning, Jesus was at work on that Saturday, defeating hell and death and sin. Though he was in the tomb, he was still at work, and the silence did not prevail. Because if you've looked, as I titled my sermon in the bulletin, then came the morning. Then came the morning. And as we just read, many other Mary and other women went down to the tomb bringing spices for the body of Jesus. But oh, what they found. The stone had been rolled away. They found this angel ready and waiting to announce that he is risen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. You got it. All right. But there's one thing they didn't find. What's the one thing they went looking for that they didn't find there? Jesus. He, he wasn't there. He is no longer in the tomb. He is alive. The angel particularly proclaimed, why do you look for the living among the dead? Jesus is alive. Jesus conquered death. Jesus defeated Satan. And today, all across the world, people are coming together to proclaim that Jesus is alive. And we join in with them in that proclamation, proclaiming the truth because Jesus is alive. Because he has been raised to life, we too can be raised to life eternal. Now, Paul said it specifically in 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 14. Here's what he said. He said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. But if you look down a couple more verses, Paul says this in verse 17 as he continues. He says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. I'm so thankful this morning that our faith is not worthless. I'm so thankful this morning that all the other faiths that claim to be true all those other gods this morning are still in their graves. If you go to look for the grave of Buddha, his ashes can still be found. If you go and visit the grave of Muhammad, his grave is still there and he is still in it. But just three days after the brutal death 
of Jesus. When Mary and Mary and others visited the grave, Jesus was not there. He is alive. And that's why we can say, hallelujah, he is risen. Amen. Our faith is not worthless. We, we are not still slaves to sin because Jesus Christ is alive. And we too have been given this everlasting life if we put our faith and our trust in the work that he accomplished on the cross. Not in our good works, not in our righteousness, but in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And this is good news. This is the good news of the gospel. And this morning what I want us to do is I want us to spend our time looking at some of the words that were spoken by Jesus leading up to his death. Because I think doing so, what we will get is we'll get an even better understanding of why Jesus came, why he was willing to go to the cross for us. And as we said, this past week has been labeled and called for centuries Holy Week. And there have been particular events happening all throughout the duration of this week leading up to today. And so the first words of Jesus that I want to draw your attention to are actually a prayer that he prayed. It's a prayer that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. It'll be on the screen as well, but if you want to turn, you can. It's going to be in Luke chapter 22. And what it does is it takes place right before Jesus is seized and taken into custody by the Roman guards. And it's a prayer filled with anguish. Let's listen to these words in Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 44. Again, this is, it says, He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he, Jesus, had reached the place, he told them, Pray that you may not fall into temptation. And then Jesus withdrew from them at about a stone's throw. He knelt down, and here's what he said. He began to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And he said, being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. The words of Jesus that I want us to see first here is this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Why is Jesus praying this prayer? Why is he asking the Father to take away the cross? It's because that even though Jesus was fully God, we also know that he was fully man when he came to the earth. Which means he knew the pain and the agony that he would soon have to walk through. He knew the cruelty of hanging on a Roman cross. But I want us to see this too. Not only did he just know the physical pain that was coming, he also knew 
the emotional pain. He knew the emotional pain that would come from carrying the weight of every sin that would soon be put on him. He knew the shame he was about to endure because the scripture tells us he takes our shame from our sin and God put it all on Jesus. Now just think for a moment. Just you individually in your life, some of the the, the sins that you would consider your worst sins. And think about the shame that you felt Maybe not in that moment, but later on as you look back and you see those sins that you commit. Think about how heavy that shame is just for you. And then multiply that. And all of that shame for all of that sin was put on Jesus. He knew the shame and the pain, both physical and emotional, that he was about to endure. And he said, Father, is there possible that there could be another way? Is there possibility that there could be another way? But I'm thankful, and we should all be thankful, that the prayer of Jesus didn't stop right there. He continues on, and he says, Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Jesus gives us in this moment the perfect example of what it looks like to live in complete submission as a true follower of him. Honestly, I think this is why so many hesitate when it comes to following Jesus. If you remember the story, the the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to follow you? And Jesus kindly said, sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And if you know in that story, that rich young ruler lowered his head and he walked away. He could not see himself coming into full submission to Jesus. That seemed too much for him to ask. Maybe some of us here find ourselves in that same spot this morning. Maybe you have heard what it means to follow Jesus. You have heard all that he has done. But when you hear, not my will, but yours be done, we want to cling to that control of ourself. We want to hold on to something. We, we can't submit it all. We can't open our hands freely. We've got to hold on to something. I think many times we have everyone around us fooled. And maybe you've mastered that. Maybe you've mastered how to live and create this facade, making everyone around you think everything's good. You're doing okay. But deep down, if you are still holding on, to something and not fully submitting to Jesus, you know the emptiness that's there. You know the emptiness that you've tried to fill with so many different things, and all of them maybe have lasted for a moment. Maybe they worked for a season, but they will eventually fade and eventually fail. Do you know why that is? 
It's because Jesus is the only true fulfillment that any of us can ever have. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And only by fully surrendering to him will true freedom come. And you can say, as Jesus did to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. And I think even for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, there are many times where we fall back into that trap, right? No one here is claiming that since they met Jesus that they've lived a perfect life. And if you are, I'll see you outside because we got some things we got to talk about. But we do that, don't we? we? We act like we've got it. We act like everything's okay. Yeah, I, I've put my faith in Jesus. And then we're afraid to show when we fail him. We're afraid to be honest and open when our sin entraps us again because we think, oh, they're going to, if I, if I reveal that, then they're not going to know. They're going to think that I really didn't know. No, they're going to think that you're still struggling with sin and that your only hope is not in yourself but in Jesus. So that's why we want to be a community of believers who are open and honest about how at fault we are, even when we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, that we say, not only did I need to be saved then, but I need to be saved today and tomorrow because I will surely, surely fail him. The only way we can truly be at peace, the only way we can have true joy is when we fully submit to the will of the Father. And we can try to do it our own way, but only true rest comes when we fully live a life that we say, not my will, but yours be done. As a church, we're, we're preaching through the book of Matthew. And here shortly, we're going to come to this verse in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus says specific, specifically, he says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. The next words of Jesus I want us to consider this morning come when he is actually being nailed to the cross. If you joined me in your Bible in Luke 22, you can probably just turn over a page to Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And this is what Jesus says. It says, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And it said they divided his clothes and cast lots. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Can I just be honest with you this morning? I don't get it. I don't understand how Jesus can say, as they are nailing the nails in his wrists and in his feet, Father, forgive them. If it's me, I'm probably cussing these men. 
I'm probably saying all the things that I could say. Even though I might be following the will of the Father, I, I know that I don't see how I, myself, if someone is nailing nails through my wrist, that I'm going to say, as they're doing it, Father, forgive them. No, I'm going to say, Father, give them what they deserve. Father, take care of them for what they're doing to me. Punish them. Don't forgive them. Yet we still see Jesus asking the Father for their forgiveness, even as they are nailing him to the tree. This is so important for us to hear because Jesus is not only praying this prayer of forgiveness for these men, what he's also showing is he's praying this prayer for you and for me. And we know this because of what Paul later describes in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. He says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then? Since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Jesus forgave these men as they were in the actual act of murdering him. Let, let that sink in. Jesus is begging for their forgiveness as they are actually in the act of murdering him. And guess what? He did that for you and I too. He did that for us yet sinners. Now, as you can look around and see, Easter is a time where traditionally we spruce it up a little bit, right? You can look around and see all the bright colors, all the, the new dresses. Hey, I got a new suit for Easter. I'm in. I got it. I'm good. My kids, I, I had some, Miss Lois said this morning, she was like, you look almost as nice as your children do this morning. I was like, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And look, there's nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong for us to go, you know what? This is a, celebra a celebratory Sunday. Let's dress it up. Let's do it. I'm not against it. I'm for it. I like getting new stuff. I like dressing up. But here's what I want to warn us. I think Satan can sometimes take something that's good and twist it. Here's what I mean. You don't have to try to clean yourself up and try to make yourself look pretty or handsome in order to be welcomed in by Jesus. You are welcomed in at your worst moment while you were yet sinners, not while you figured out how to stop sinning, 
Not once you tried to quit enough on your own did Christ die for you. No, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son had everything he needed at home, but he wanted his inheritance. And so he got it. His father gave it to him and sent him off and said, Son, you're essentially saying you wish I was dead and you could have my money, but here you go. Take it. And we know that the prodigal son went and, and lived a lavish lifestyle. It had friends and, fam, and fame and, and fortune and, and just lived it up until his money ran out. And then his friends and his fame and all were, were gone, right? And so we know that at the story, at its worst point, the son is working, feeding pigs, and if you don't know, in the cultural moment that this story is told, there can't be a worse animal that you would be associated with than pigs. It's the lowest of the lowest of the lowest. And in those moments of feeding this and tending these pigs, not only was he feeding and tending them, he was down there with them. We, we find out in that story that he was eating the slop with them. He was covered in the same filth that those pigs were. And as he is at his lowest moment, he said, I'm not even worthy to be a son anymore. But you know what? My dad has a lot of workers, and so maybe I can go back to the house and be a worker. And his father is waiting for him and ready. And not as he just waiting for him, his father is coming after him. When he sees his son crest the horizon, his father is in full pursuit of his son. And do you know what happened? When he got up close to his son, he didn't say, gosh, didn't you know what the clothes were to be worn at this juncture? Didn't you figure out at least go to a creek and clean yourself up? Gosh, you smell like the pigs. You look like the pigs. You could have at least come back to me with some respect, clean yourself up, and try to enter in. No, he didn't say a word of that. In the middle of his filth, in the middle of his stench, the father wrapped a robe around his son and said, you're my son, welcome home. He put a ring on his finger and he threw a feast celebrating his son coming home. We have been lied to by Satan that says we're not worthy to come unless we try to clean ourselves up. And that is a lie, a bold faced lie from the enemy because if we're waiting to clean ourselves up before we come to Jesus we'll never make it and in fact if we believe what Romans says is true that while you were still sinning not even had a thought about Jesus yet he died for you and came for you I think so many times we think oh well we we made it to Jesus no 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 he pulled us out of the muck he pulled us out of the mire. He pulled us out of the filth. There is nothing that we can do to earn the love of Jesus because while we, you and I, were still in the filth and stench of sin, and let's take it even further because we know that those sins were driving the nails into Jesus. So you can picture yourself this way. You were the one driving the nails into Jesus because your sin is what put him there. We can make it that real. 
Even while we were putting Jesus on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he was willing to die for us. The last words that I want us to see of Jesus come as his final words on the cross. And we've translated them into English. And in our translation into English, this is what it says. It is finished. The Greek word for that phrase is tetelestai, which means the work is complete. All that Jesus had come to earth to accomplish, all that Jesus had come to earth to do was finished. All the prophecies have been fulfilled. All the work is done. Jesus came to earth. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, and then he gave that sinless life to you and to me so that we might live. We are the unrighteous, and he was perfectly righteous. And he says that we, full of sin, can take his life of perfect righteousness. It is finished. There's nothing for you and I to do to earn our salvation. Jesus has paid it all and all. To him we owe. I think it's so hard for us to grasp this simple declaration. We, we want to try to be good enough, right? But we can't. We, we want to try to stop sinning on our own, but we know that that is impossible. We want to think we can do it ourselves, but instead, we can't. And I think we just need to be honest about that. We need to be honest that on our own, in our own power, we cannot fight the fight of sin. We must have his spirit within us by submitting to his perfect life and truly believing that testelestai is true, that the work is complete, that it is finished. Here's what I love about those words. Satan heard those words. But when Satan heard those words, he thought he had won. When Satan heard Jesus say, it is finished, he thought, I did it. I accomplished the goal. I got rid of him. It's over. He thought he had won. But we know that what Satan viewed as the end, the Son of God said, oh, this is just the beginning. Because it is finished, you and I can be made whole. Jesus has finished the work. He has defeated sin and death. But let's remember, we know that on this side, right? We get the full scope of the story. But let's go back to Mary and Mary and the disciples. And when they were on their way to the tomb, it looked bleak. It looked like defeat 
had won. But then came the morning. Then came the morning. That first Easter Sunday morning, the angel said, as we read in the beginning, Matthew 28, verses 5 and 6, the angel told them, don't be afraid. Because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Man, look at that next phrase. He is not here. He is not here for he has risen just as he said. Here, come look. See the place where he lay. Jesus is alive. He is risen. I left you a little break there, but you're back. Guys, death is defeated. The tomb really was empty. This is not a story. This is not something we read just to feel good about our faith. This happened. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. We no longer have to fear the punishment of sin and death because Jesus has conquered the grave. As some of the song lyrics um, ring true, he has no rival. He has no equal. Now and forever, Jesus reigns. And he did it all so that you and I could have life and life everlasting. The work is finished. It is done. So this morning, I, I want to again tell you that Jesus went to the cross for you. Jesus went to the cross, and as he said, it is finished. He completed the work for your salvation. You can quit trying to live your life in such a way that you think will earn his favor. It'll never work. Here's the thing. You can't try to accomplish something that's already been done. I know that's simplistic, but I really want you to think about that. You can't accomplish something that's already been taken care of. And so you living your life in a way that you think can earn his salvation, he's telling you, I, I already did it. <laughs> it is finished. My perfect life was lived so that your sinful life could be made perfect. Not in anything that we have done, but in everything that Christ has done. And Jesus asks us, when we hear the truth of that message, when we hear the truth of the gospel, Scripture simply tells us to admit that we're a sinner. A admit that we can't do anything to cover our own sins. And then when we get to that place, we profess, we call out, we proclaim 
that his perfect life and his death and his resurrection is given for us so that we can be saved. This morning, if you have not professed that Jesus is the Christ and that he is alive, would you, along with millions around the world, profess today that he has done the work? It is finished. And he's alive.